In episode 143 of the e-commerce coffee break podcast, I sit down with Beth Hannon, CEO and founder of AccessorCard, as she shares her expertise and knowledge on the topic of website accessibility for people with disabilities. Don't miss out on these episodes. There's a lot of gold nuggets in there. So let's get started. But first, a shout out to our sponsor, Bundle Builder. Join thousands of Shopify entrepreneurs that use Bundle Builder to create custom product bundles that turn browsers into buyers and dramatically increases average order values. Install Bundle Builder today and get a free 30-day trial plus an onboarding call to help get you set up for success. Simply visit www.bundlebuilder.app or click the link in the show notes. This is the e-commerce coffee break. A top-rated Shopify growth podcast dedicated to Shopify merchants and business owners looking to grow their online stores. Learn how to survive in the fast-changing e-commerce world with your host, Klaus Lauter, and get marketing advice you can't find on Google. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the show. show. Welcome to another episode of the e-commerce coffee break. Did you know that one of four adults in North American Europe have a disability that impacts major daily activities? In the U.S., disposable income for adults with disabilities is about $485 billion a year. In 2022, 77% of all web accessibility lawsuits involved e-commerce sites. So you already see web accessibility can be complex. It's a huge topic, not enough e-commerce store owners look into this topic and you should know about it because it can also involve fines or even you can be sued if you're not doing this right way. So this is a topic we want to talk about today. With me on the show as an expert, I have Beth Hannon. Beth grew up in a retail family, learning to make change to customers at age six in her grandparents' corner grocery. She founded a digital service agency in 2008 and over the last five years, she and her team have increasingly specialized in website accessibility and e-commerce. They rebranded the accessor card last year and they delight in helping merchants of all sizes find ways to make their websites work better for people with disabilities. So let's welcome Beth to the show. Hey, Beth, how do you do? Hi, Klaus. Good to be with you. Beth, we're talking about a very important topic here today. And I want to just get a bit of a basic overview that listeners understand what actually is the problematic part of this. Sometimes people just don't even think about folks with disabilities using websites and we want to make sure that if people have a disability, that they're able to use your website. There are a lot of laws in various countries around human rights laws, around making your website accessible. So, for instance, if a person is blind, they might use a tool called a screen reader that will read out loud to them not just the text that's on the page, but sort of some of the code and things that are behind the images, for example. It'll describe the images and the link text. If a person has mobility disabilities, so so they can't use a mouse like most people can. They would use keyboard navigation. They might have an accessibility device. So like Stephen Hawking, when he was most paralyzed, had a little sensor on his glasses that he could move his cheek and he could just navigate through websites with that. So those are just two. But we begin to talk about things like color blindness. You know, if you're using colors in ways that make it difficult for people or if you're using people with reading disabilities. And at a certain point, we begin to optimize even for things like people who have anxiety and depression, right? Is your checkout process so convoluted that it might make people anxious and they leave and abandon the cart? So all kinds of ways that we can begin to talk about optimizing your website. And the nice thing is, you know, when you begin to optimize and you begin to consider users that have disabilities, you really make the experience better for everybody, right? It's not just the person that has the disabilities, but then 
you know, you make it better for the person who has a wiggly baby on their hip while they're checking out or the person on their phone in bright sunlight. All of those things can begin to impact, be improved when you talk about accessibility. Yeah, we already see that's a huge percentage of the population. We're talking about millions and millions of people and people yeah. with disposable income. So people who go online will shop and some of them, it's the only way to shop. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to make it as easy as possible. Now, That's talking right. about Shopify, about online versions, I will say, but I have a theme, I have a template that I'm using. What can I do? Because I'm limited. And I think there's a lot of different angles that you can approach this topic. Some of the things that you have to do with things like color contrast, right? So you're choosing colors that are a part of your theme. And you want to make sure that they're one of the accessibility compliance pieces has to do with enough contrast between the text on a button and the button background color, right? That it needs to be readable and won't make too many assumptions. But you and I have a little bit of gray in our hair, right? Looking at things or the small print is starting to be harder to read. You can certainly deal with some color contrast. You're right. There are some limitations about how you can do that. You can make some better choices on Shopify than others. And we try to help the Shopify platform when we can know that there are issues and help them sort of make those better for folks. But a lot of it has to do with choices of colors, choices of fonts, making sure your fonts are large enough, making sure that you're putting things in a semantic way, right? So that if you have a long product description page, for example, that you're putting in your headings, right? You're using H tags in a proper way. And it's not just to pick bigger text or a different type of text or a bolded text, right? It's not so much about the style of the text. For example, a blind person, when they're navigating a page, they have a tool that they use a keyboard and they might say, read me all the H2 tags on this page so that they can get a big overview of what's on the page or all the H3 tags. And so you want to make sure you're nesting those properly and you don't skip any, right? So you have H1 is always the page title, and then you have H2 is all the major points, and then the H3 is underneath and the H4s. So you don't skip from an H2 to an H4. Those kinds of things are really in the ballpark for the person who's creating the website. Me as an old digital nomad and e-commerce entrepreneur, I already see that there is some advantages for SEO and search engine results awesome. in there because if you're yes. using your H tags properly, you get yeah. an additional benefit there. Yeah, now, and... Things like alt text on your images, right? And making sure that you're describing the images. There's some kind of specialization around this in terms of your product images. So, for example, you don't want to just simply put the same alt text on every view of the product. You would want to make sure that you're describing things a little differently. And all of that's going to help boost your SEO as well. I see also some similarities there with conversion rate optimization, what mm -hmm. I call motoric load. When you say, how do I navigate a website? I can imagine that for bigger corporations or bigger companies, now there's a brand manager. They say, oh, that doesn't work with our CI, with our UX, with our design language or whatever they have. What would be the best way to approach a existing store and then really dissect it and get a sort of an audit or assessment to find out where they need to work on. Right. So some of it is that you're going to need to like get buy-in from folks, right? You, you mentioned someone who said, all right, it's not going to work with our, what we have going already. So you, you really do need to get some buy-in from your development team, from your design team, from your, you know, your content managers. Everybody's going to have to make a commitment to do this. And there are some ways that you can get folks some education right? There are some training 
pieces that people can do. There's a ton of webinars that are out there. A lot of them are free. You can find them. Getting people to buy in and start doing some education. Sometimes the merchant will hire a team like ours to come alongside of their team for a while and then offer. So for instance, one of the things we offer is kind of a bucket of retainer hours that can be used to help train your team, to offer some assessments and consulting along the way. How can you sort of make a plan to phase in some of these improvements over time? There are also audits that you can do. So you can hire a team like ours, and we're not the only ones out there doing that, right? There's also other folks that you can do. And an audit is really just an assessment of the accessibility on your site. We offer a check an audit of your checkout process because that's often a place where people might find an issue, right? If the blind person can't figure out how to put in their payment card, you've got a problem. And so the checkout process is often a place where we might see something. So we do a mini audit on checkouts. And then Typically, folks do not get an audit of their entire site because of the cost just becomes prohibitive. So what they might get is a sample audit. So your sample audit might be 10 or 20 or 30 URLs on your site, and then you're going to extrapolate from there, right? If you have problems with alt text on these few pages, you're probably going to have them on other pages. And then you just need to make a plan for how you're going to, over time, get those issues fixed. Right. And so some things may be easier for Shopify owners to fix than others. For instance, we know that there is one checkout option where you have like a two column option for checking out. The person starts on the left side, they're filling that out and you get to the bottom and it says go to shipping. And then the coupon code is over on the top of the right side. If you're reading that page in a screen reader, it actually goes past that button and down into the footer to the privacy policy and all before it goes back over into that second column. Right now, that's a limitation of the platform. If you just choose to do a regular one-page checkout instead of the two-column, right, a one-column checkout, then you've solved that problem. Sometimes, you know, you can make different choices in the platform that will help you be more accessible. And now a quick break to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Bundle Builder. With over five years in the Shopify App Store, Bundle Builder is the OG bundling app for Shopify stores. Get creative with custom product kits and gift boxes. Let your customers choose the bundle contents for a personalized experience or set up pre-built bundles. One click and it's in the cart. Use the powerful discount engine to create offers and deals like percentage, fixed or tiered discounts and set rules with conditions. Bundle Builder will sync your inventory in ways that work for your business with single or multi-SKU options available. Install Bundle Builder in the App Store today and get a free 30-day trial plus a free onboarding call to help you to get your store set up for success. Simply visit www.bundlebuilder.app or click the link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Okay. I want to take one step back because we mentioned in the beginning that you can be sued or fined. It's a little bit where you are in the world. Can you talk me through how that starts? What's happening there? Yeah, so lots of places in the more developed world, industrialized world, have laws on the books. So if you live in the EU, if you live in the UK, if you live in Japan, Australia, New Zealand, those places have laws that you need to comply. And they typically are part of more broad human rights laws, but they include digital access accessibility as a part of that. Those are going to vary widely, and some of them are really just coming on board. So, for example, we've worked with a number of folks in Canada, and there's not a ton of enforcement quite yet, but that's coming. We know that that's coming in 2024, 2025. It's a little bit different in the U.S. There's not really any explicit 
digital accessibility law, what happens is that we have the Americans with Disabilities Act that was signed in 1990, so way before websites were really a part of everyday life. But that law was intended to keep evolving as, you know, the world evolves. And what has happened for us over the last 10 to 15 years is increasingly we get lawsuits. We Americans are much more litigious about these things, right? So the government hasn't really said until this last year that ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, applies to websites. They did say that this last year, but we've had these lawsuits that have had a little bit of mixed results. But generally speaking, the entire kind of movement is, yes, it applies to websites. If you are government, if you have anything to do with any level of government, everything from federal down to the tiniest little town, your website has to be accessible. If you get any money from the federal government, your website has to be accessible. If you get any money from the federal government, any grants, any federal programs. So we, for instance, worked with an organization that got a grant from the Centers for Disease Control, right? They had to be accessible as a part of their contract. Then when you move into things like e-commerce and anytime there's interactivity, right? Somebody's creating an account, you get public things like banks and other things. Clearly those have to be accessible. We start getting a little more gray area. If it's really just a brochure website or a pest control service that just has a phone number, right? Or an email address, it's a little less clear whether that has to be accessible, but clearly the movement is toward everything needs to be accessible. And there's a, just a ton of lawsuits. They've been going up every year. There were more than 4,000 last year in the U.S. And 77% of those were, as you mentioned in the intro, right, e-commerce sites. So e-commerce where there's a lot of user interaction do require that there's some accessibility. So it's just really smart. Now, that does not even count. The very first thing that might happen to someone in the U.S. is that they might get what's called a demand letter. And this is just a letter from an attorney that says, my plaintiff is going to sue you. And they can look really spammy and not very professional sometimes. And it's really easy to just chuck them in the garbage because you think they're a kind of a junk mail thing. And what happens is that if you don't reply to that letter, the next step is that you get a summons to go to court. So that 4,000 really does not count all of the people that got a demand letter and settled before they went to court. So it's a much broader kind of issue that I think merchants really need to start paying attention to and start taking some steps because it's going to take a while. What you don't want to have happen is that you don't want to just sort of ignore it until you get sued, because if as a part of that, you will have to make your site accessible as a part of a settlement or a lawsuit. And that's going to cost a lot more because you're going to have to do it in a short amount of time. That's going to make it a lot more expensive. While it's not always cheap to make your website accessible, audits can be expensive and the remediation work can be expensive, but it's going to be a lot more expensive if you get sued, even if you settle out of court. And you can get sued more than once, sometimes by the same plaintiff. It's not like you get sued once and it goes away. It really is an investment in a longer term kind of keeping things cost under control. Realistically, avoiding a lawsuit or avoiding a fine motivates a lot of folks to get interested in exploring it. But then they discover the SEO benefits and expanding your audience and e-commerce sites that are not accessible are losing $6.9 billion in revenue to other e-commerce sites that are accessible. So 
you know, get your slice of the pie and work on that. No, 100% agree. We don't want to scare the hell out of people here. I really don't like the fear. Ideally, we love working with folks that really are just see the value in really working at not just sort of compliance, but like, how can I make this better? It's more of a user experience optimization, right? When you begin to think about it that way, when you say that all my users have no disabilities or all my users are this age group, but you're really starting to think about, well, I have users that might have some disabilities and how can we begin to optimize for that? Yeah, I think disability start with, as you said, with gray hair and having reading glasses. Then things become <laughs> difficult, then you fall under there, exactly. So if the font is too small or you have a light gray font on a gray background, which looks fancy, but it's just not readable, that's the basic entry when it comes to accessibility of a website of an online store. And obviously, as you said, there is a lot of lawyers out there. It's their business model to reach out. And not only in the US, that's also in Europe and one step ahead of them. So you don't want to be yeah. a victim for them. Yeah. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is there are in the US, there are these, what it's almost like a predatory thing, right? There'll be one attorney. And one plaintiff, typically a blind person, but they'll sue hundreds of people, right? And so they just see it as a business model. And that's unfortunate, but it is what's driving the concern for accessibility is really trying to deal with those lawsuits that are coming from every angle. Yeah. I think by now we should have convinced our listeners and viewers that this is a very important topic. If somebody now looks at the website and say, oh dear, I have some work to do, what would be the first step for them, kind of homework to get into the process and then potentially reaching out to your guys and to get professional help? There are two or three things that are really basic low-hanging fruit for accessibility. One is color contrast, like you mentioned. We have some great posts on our blog at accessicart.com about some of these basic check kind of things or how to do things, kind of DIY items. So checking your color contrast, that's an easy kind of low-hanging fruit. Making sure you've got that semantic HTML and making sure you've got alt text on your images. If you do those three things, you've got a great start. And then, frankly, we encourage folks to have done at least some of that or started to work on that before they try to do an audit. Then your audit can really work on more of the significant issues in terms of moving forward, continuing to move forward. And it's not to imply that those three things are the only things you need to do, but that's about 80% of most kinds of issues. It's just a good start to do. One thing we haven't talked about, Claus, that might be really important for your listeners to know, AI is a big topic right now. There's a lot of AI stuff going on. Over the last two years, there are tons and tons of advertisements for what are called overlay plugins that are a little bit of AI. So they're using that AI that we talked about for the testing. But the important thing to know is that they only will help you fix about 30% of your issues. You can certainly pay for those services and do that, but you just need to know they're not going to solve all of your accessibility problems. And we actually are seeing some anecdotally more and more evidence that because people can analyze the tech stack you're using, that you're actually getting targeted for being sued. Because then the lawsuit knows that you knew you were supposed to do something, but you're not fixing all the issues. Just know that if you're using one of those tools where you're putting a little script of code into your website theme, that's actually something that could, first of all, not fix all your problems, but 
also make it more likely to get you sued. So it's an interesting and a very important information that can actually backfire on you. So yeah, you should think twice if you want to put that in. Those overlay plugins, you can go to overlayfactsheet.com. You can read a little bit more about how they work, why they're a problem. One of the problems with them is that they often conflict with the existing tools that disabled people have on their machines, right? I have a disability and I require a tool. 99% of the other websites out there, I'm already going to have those tools installed, but the overlay conflicts with them and means that neither tool can be used. So a lot of disabled people install browser extensions to block the tools, which is really fascinating. Like the people that you're trying to help are blocking your help. But the other big issue, especially for people in the EU, is that there's some concern about privacy with these tools. So If you open the little widget that it creates, you have to basically give it your information about your disability to use the particular little tools that are there. The companies that provide the widgets are storing that information, theoretically. So when the person with the visual disability goes to the next website that uses that tool, it's already there. But huge privacy law violations, right? They're not being notified. They have no way to remove it. Lots of concerns around the privacy pieces around those tools too. Yeah, 100%. So you are helping there. You mentioned the audit. Give me an idea on the pricing or what kind of service model do you offer there? We offer a mini checkout, a mini audit of your checkout, and that's currently priced at $2,750, but it's a fairly limited audit. So we help you pick one product. We put the one product in the cart. We make sure that's workable. Ideally, it's something that has variations or different colors or something that we can change, right? We can test whether people can change those things. And then we kind of move through the checkout process to let you know if there are issues there. But if you're looking at more of a larger audit, you can go to people and they will, sometimes people will offer you a free audit. And when they're offering you a free audit, what they're doing is running you through some automated checker and just printing out that report. You can do those kinds of checks for yourself. What we often find, though, is that there are sometimes false positives and false negatives, right, in those reports. And so sometimes it's a little difficult to kind of get a sense. Just because the automated checker says you have zero issues doesn't necessarily mean you're home free. Making sure you understand that and understanding that AI, those automated reports are using AI, those can only find about 30% of issues. So for instance, they can tell you whether you have color contrast issues or whether you're missing alt text. They can't tell you whether your alt text is good alt text. And they can't tell you whether your menu is keyboard navigatable, right? Whether people can navigate through your website because they're not navigating through the website. There are certainly things that require some human testing, things that people can begin to learn to do for themselves, some. But when they come to a professional, you're looking for not just the testing and looking at those broader issues beyond people who are blind or have mobility issues, but some of the broader issues. But also you're looking to the professional to help you sort through the false positives and false negatives, but also help you prioritize them. What is preventing, especially when you're talking about e-commerce, right? Our ideal is thinking about how can we help more people check out? right? How can we help more people complete their purchases? When you're talking about prioritizing those, that's what a professional service can do for you is helping you sort through that. So we offer, generally our sampling audits come in, we're looking at specific numbers of URLs. Minimum would be around 10, 20 or 30. When you're starting to look at 10 and through the 
checkout process, you're probably looking at somewhere between nine and $10,000 for that lowest end one. They're not cheap, but they're very labor intensive because of the human testing that's involved. Generally speaking, a service like ours would help you identify those 10 or 20 or 30 URLs. They would do the testing, provide you with an extensive written report telling you not just what failed, but how it was tested and what was tested because you got that documentation. And then we provide an hour of consultation. And so a lot of times folks will bring their regular development team so that when we can answer technical questions or we can demo the issue for them so that they can see how it doesn't work, then we are available then to work with your developers or your designers or your content people afterwards in terms of answering some questions that kind of keep going or, you know, later doing additional checks if you fix things or things like that. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. People should see that investment in their business and not only as yeah. a cost that they have, because I mean, you're winning from two sides. The one side is you have higher conversion rates, you open a new part of the market that at this point you might not be able to address. And then obviously it's an investment for not being sued because that's yeah. money that's definitely going yeah. through. People who have disabilities are incredibly loyal when sites work well for them because so many things don't work well for them or they have issues, right? They tend to be very loyal customers and very big advocates, right? They'll share with other people they know that this site is working well for me. I'm happy. Yeah, I love that. Very, very important point there. Yeah. Beth, where can people find more about you and what you do? Our website is Accessicart, A-C-C-I-S-S-I-C-A-R-T.com, Accessicart. I will put it in the show notes as always, and you just yeah. want to There's a lot of golden nuggets there. I think our listeners need to listen twice to this episode to get all <laughs> the info out that they need to get started there. But thanks so much for giving us all these insights. I really oh, appreciate that. And love have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Don't forget to visit the sponsor of today's episode, Bundle Builder. Join thousands of Shopify entrepreneurs that use Bundle Builder to create custom product bundles that turn browsers into buyers and dramatically increases average order values. Install Bundle Builder today and get a free 30-day trial plus an onboarding call to help get you set up for success. Simply visit www.bundlebuilder.app or click the link in the show notes. And that's a wrap for this episode. I hope you found today's episode informative and actionable. As a reminder, we have a growing community of e-commerce professionals where you can share your insights, ask questions and learn from other merchants. If you're interested in joining, please visit our website at ecommercecoffeebreak.com and sign up for the community. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to stay updated on the latest marketing trends and strategies for Shopify e-commerce merchants. See you next time.